Hey everybody, welcome to Co-Pilots. I am Sean Conroy. And I'm Andy Secunda. On this podcast, we talk about TV pilots, the first episodes of television shows. Sometimes pilots become long-running series. Others don't make it past that first episode. We're going to talk about all of them. The great pilots, the bad pilots, the weird pilots, the forgotten pilots. We are TV writers, but it should be noted that we are the dumbest TV writers you know. So all these are just our dumb opinions. So dumb. So we are talking about television pilots, and the pilot we're here to talk about today is Puchinski, which was a pilot which aired on July 9th, 1990, making it a cancer birthday. So, what are cancer qualities? Are they well, very, low budget? Well, very sensitive. They, oh, is that what it is? Uh, yeah, yeah. So which comes through in the pilot. Sure, sure. Uh, there's some treacly sentimental parts in addition to the hilarity that ensues. Um, and just to give people some some context, and this is really not at all any context, with where American culture was at the time, the number one pop music song in the country was Step by Step from New Kids on the Block. Were you a, a New Kids on the Block fan? I mean, you you couldn't not have heard that or been aware of it, but I don't know that I you know went out and bought the album. You were not into NKOTB? No. Yeah. I don't think I was either. I think uh, I was a more of a 98 Degrees guy myself. Sure. He's wearing a 98 Degrees shirt right yep. now. Yep. And it's I have the thermostat up to 98 degrees as well i always keep the temperatures i gotta say very uncomfortable it's it's warm it's warm but he's committed yep so puchinski is a strange pilot let's just put that on the table Uh, certainly it's it's bizarre and i'm curious to know who the people are who who came up with all this stuff well uh, first of all i'm curious if you have heard of this because i it, it's a legendary legendary pilot and usually thought to be a legendarily terrible pilot mm-hmm. i had Having not heard aired, of it i had which not is heard of interesting. it until you until you brought it up okay uh, i definitely been talked about by many television writers that i know and played in the the, the goldberg's writers room mm-hmm. by adam the showrunner you work on was obsessed with it i no longer work on goldberg's you did I did work on Goldberg's. Yeah. Now it's been canceled. So yes, I write my own fan fiction about Goldberg's, but I no longer work. I'm on sorry show. I brought it up. It's no. partially you're, the heat that's affecting my brain. You're a classic salt rubber in wounder. Yeah, which is not good when you're sweating as much as we are right now. Certainly. You can't just take it down to at least 90, no. 90 degrees. All right. There's no there's no band called 90 degrees. That's true. Anyway, so I'd heard about it. We'd watched it. It's just... It was insane. And uh, the one thing that's fascinating to me is that it aired. Like, not only did they... It's amazing enough that they shot it, but beyond that, that they were like, you know what? Let's let's throw that on the schedule. And, we and, got a and, down moment. Let's see if any this, this connects with anybody. And it feels like they already knew it was not picked up when the pilot aired because if the pilot had been picked up, they would have made more episodes. Right. It was just them burning it off. Which is why it aired in the summer. That was back in the time when they had stuff in the summertime that wasn't important. Right. So it must have been like, eh, who knows? It's got a lot of elements. It could apply. It could It could appeal to kids, it, which is part of the issue with the pilot is just like, who are you making this for? Right, right. And uh, I don't, I, there, there's no, I, as, as always, if you're an executive who was working at 20th Century Fox at the time, if you're someone who has some background information on how this came to pass, 
feel free to reach out to us. Love to know. The only thing that's... that's... Call our tip line, 1-800-ANDY-AND-SHAW. <laughs> oh, that's not the tip line. We're not going to spend to get it, but I'm sure there'll be email information at the end of the show when we finally get our act together. Uh, first of all, I love that it's it says teleplay. I love an old teleplay. Nothing better than a teleplay. That's, that's <laughs> a very specific amount of money that somebody got paid to do that. <laughs> it's very classy sounding. Mm-hmm. And it was written by Lon Diamond, whose biggest claim to fame is he was a co-creator on Parker Lewis Can't Lose, which was interestingly aired in September 1990. So he was a this was a busy time for Lon. So that makes me think, do you think that he had a deal and was like they were like give him everything. Right. And then this was this was the one that went the he way it went. He says he wants to do this. <laughs> well, he gave us this other thing. We got to let him do that. But Parker Lewis can't lose aired after this compared if, if you're what you're saying is it, it aired in July. Right. So that means they made it probably the season before. Uh-huh. And then while he was waiting to hear. Whether... They were like, keep working. Keep working, Lon. <laughs> Look, this th- we know that Pachinski's going to be a hit. That's a given. Or while they were, he was waiting to find out if that got picked up, he already had this in progress and or they bought the next thing. And Well, it's also possible that he made this and he was waiting to hear whether it got picked up or not. And then he had another idea and he was like, this is so much better. I hope to God Puchinski doesn't get picked up because I want to make Parker Lewis can't lose. And then when it didn't get picked up, he was relieved. It's possible. Do you, have you ever, I've actually never seen to my knowledge. Parker Lewis can't lose. Yes. Have you? No, I have not. I don't even really know what it was. Kevin. Kevin, our producer, shaking his head no, since he's about 12 years old. Of course, he doesn't know Parker Lewis can't lose. Apologies to fans of Parker Lewis can't lose. It's possible we uh, we may do it on the show at some point. Who knows? There's a million ways this could go. That's... Are we? Are we, Did we get picked up, by the way? <laughs> Still waiting to hear. Brian Levant uh, wrote it with him. He wrote it on the Bad News Bears TV show, not the movie, which I actually watched because I love the movie so much that I ignored the fact that the TV show was you love the original the original movie. I love the original movie and the sequel, Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. Right, was, not Bad News Bears Go to Japan. I watched it. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit more of a tough watch. Right. Yeah. And what about the Billy Bob Thornton reboot of Bad News Bears? I watched it, not as much of a fan as the original I was they didn't obsessed have as much, with. They didn't have as much fun with the alcoholism in the in the reboot. No, no. It just wasn't. We don't need to litigate the, if, the and reboot And by the way, if Bears. anybody out there is Billy Bomb Thornton, please call the tip line <laughs> 1-800-SEAN-AND-ANDY. Tell us what your favorite pilot is. So uh, Brian Levant also uh, worked on Mork and Mindy, Happy Days, uh, you know, and then he has movie credits, to more, you know, in keeping with this show, Problem Child 2, Beethoven, Flintstones, Jingle All the Way, all sort of seem like they're more in the spirit of Puchinski, although obviously m- far more successful. And uh, the story was written by David Kirshner, who did the uh, story for American Tale, and then he was very successful in children's properties and uh, Lon Diamond. So Lon Diamond is is the He's visionary. The diamond in the rough. He's, well... No, not the rough. He's And he's not a diamond. He's the centerpiece. Right. The, the fulcrum. The, yes, to the, the pivot man. The sun to everybody else's planets. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And also, it's also possible, and tell me what you think about this, Sean, that there's so many names attached to the script that possibly there was a fight for credits over this pilot. Absolutely. Which is... Which would be hilarious. Who wouldn't fight for credits on this? <laughs> People were. This is a name that will live in infamy. I want mine attached. 
I, I don't know what YouTube is yet, but when it finally is invented, <laughs> I'm certain that everyone. Although the although the copy that I watched on YouTube only had about forty thousand views, so I was kind of surprised that it wasn't. That's interesting. Yeah, and maybe um, I was maybe there's like a bunch of them, so I only. I wonder if Kubrick style, uh, Lon Diamond ki- continually has it pulled from YouTube, keep those numbers low to erase his early work before Parker Lewis. Uh-huh. See, we can't connect the dots on his creative growth. It was directed by Will McKenzie, who had some WKRP in Cincinnati's, a ton of New Hearts, had 36 eps of uh, Family Ties. He also had something called Room for Two. Have you ever heard of that with Patricia Heaton? No. And Linda Lavin, which was... Were they the two? I can't guarantee... Yeah, no, yes, they were. They okay. were. Because it's about a woman whose mother moves in with her, I believe. Linda Lavin moves in with Patricia Heaton? And then they Heaton? have to work on a television show together, I think, is the concept. So it's basically Frasier, but for TV. Is, was Frasier not for TV? <laughs> well, Frasier was for TV, but it was... Uh, sorry, it's Frasier... But about TV. Yes, yes, correct. Instead yes. of about radio. Right. Except it has the extra. I think Frasier was originally written for the stage, no? <laughs> it certainly has that vibe. Yeah. <laughs> so in it, obviously, the great George Newborn as the young cop. Uh, of course he's young. He's newborn. <laughs> What's going to happen when he's old? He's older now. <laughs> old, old died. Still uh, around. Still working, that guy. Well, that's what's amazing. He's been steadily working since 86. Um, he had a running, long-running part on Scandal. As a nerd, the thing that I know him as the most is he was the voice of Superman in the Justice League cartoon, which I was kind of surprised at because mm-hmm. it does not sound like he has the same voice. And he was fantastic in that. Really, really great performance. Superman, not an easy part to to make interesting and nail no. down. And I, I also had an argument with somebody last night while I was watching it. Who And it wasn't really an argument because I knew I was right. So I was just like, okay, we can look it up and I'm right. But this person who was younger was very convinced that this was the guy who had starred in Mannequin, which, of course, was Andrew McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy. And this right. guy really is like a low-rent Andrew McCarthy. Like, he looks like him. His hair is the same. I think that George Newborn would, would bristle at that characterization. Well, I, I think he if you're to think George of... Newborn, please call the tip line. <laughs> he, I would love to hear from George Newborn. Is Do it something... Newborn or Newburn? Newborn. Oh. You were correct with your pun. Uh, I think I like to think of George Newborn as the thinking man's Andrew McCarthy. You're far more complicated than I am. (laughs) And finally, obviously, it stars Peter Boyle, legendary Peter Boyle, Friends of Eddie Coyle, Taxi Driver, Young Frankenstein, working through to a nine-year run on Everybody Loves Raymond, just perpetual, beloved, and just impressive character actor. By the way, have you watched Friends of Eddie Coyle recently? Yes. I I just can't recommend that movie highly enough to people. It's so wonderful. It's an incredible movie that I don't think a lot of people even are aware of. That's one of those movies that I saw too young. And I was like, this is slow. Where are the shoot-em-ups? What's going on? And now I watch it and I'm like, this is the greatest movie that ever existed. So the interesting thing to me is sort of figuring out, because it's right in the middle of his career and you could kind of track... Peter Boyle from sort of this, you know, set mid seventies, you know, guy. success, just thing after thing that has become legendary. And then you go through the eighties and there's certainly hits and success. And he's working as a character actor and it's sort of right. He kind of feels, and it's interesting landed on everybody loves Raymond because obviously that's a working actor's dream, um, which he was incredible in. You kind of feel like maybe around, Pachinsky, he is looking for like, I'd like to get a, you know... Uh, Big like, paycheck and yes. not a lot of work every week. <laughs> right. I've been working as a character actor for a while. I'd like mm. to... I want to be the top dog, which 
you know you were on, on pun fire i can't help myself um so that's basically the setup of this show it's uh, about a cop that gets run over and becomes a dog that's it in a nutshell yes that is what Pachinski is. So let's let's talk about the show, shall we? Let's. Okay. We open on a view of, I'm assuming it's Chicago. Am I right about that? This all takes place in Chicago? I believe that there was something in it, and I can't remember the specific, that pointed it toward New York, even though it's clearly shot in L.A. Right. And I don't remember what the specific was. So I was confused the whole time as, as to where we were supposed to be. But anyway, it's an aerial shot. Yeah. And we just hear. Oh, if there was an aerial shot, then that's. that's but I, I didn't recognize where oh, okay. it was. Like okay. I, I, I for some reason, I thought they said something. Oh, because when he and spoiler, I'm going to get to something later on. <laughs> uh, if you if you want Sean to tell you the story of every show we cover, this is probably not the podcast right. for you. Uh, but when he gets hit by the car, he gives the guy the tickets that he has in his pocket, and it's for a Cubs game. So I assume that you're it right. Was it's Chicago. Chicago. Yes. Um, okay. But I think there may have been something that conflicted. That well, and also, it, but, but here's the wrong. other thing: is his name is Puczynski, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's you know. Come on, Polish people live in Chicago. Right. You know, like it's very. Paczynski, a classic Polish name. Polish name. <laughs> Eastern European. Speaking of, just address right off the top the name Paczynski. Yeah. You have your concept. Do you think Do you think it's like the name Paczynski and then you're like, that's a great name for something. What What is it about? It's about a guy. Is it? Does he call the dog Paczynski and it's his partner? Right. Does it, or is it just you? he came up with the concept of a cop gets killed, becomes a dog. What should the cop's name be? Paczynski? I think that's the way it goes. It goes like, okay, so the cop's name is O'Brien and he becomes resurrected in the body of a dog. And right. they're like, I get it, but I don't get the name. You know, and then it becomes like we got to drive home this point. Do you think there was even a second of hesitation on is Pachinski a normal enough name that it it's not this crazy coincidence that you're both having the guy be named Pachinski and have the I think I think it definitely got brought up. I think somebody was like, this seems too coincidental. Uh-huh. It's crazy that a guy named Puchinski becomes a pooch. This is a case where I, in my head, am begging for network notes. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if it was like, as soon as they saw a draft of this, they were like, this is insane. I'm not even bothering giving notes on it. They gave notes. But, you know, whoever it was, Lon Diamond, was like, how dare you suggest that my precious words, even a, even, a, even one of them should be changed. Like, what happened? Right. You want to make his name O-Canine, I walk. The name is Puchinski or else. <laughs> um. But I do think there's like a weird, yeah, it just was, it's it's a strange name. It's a strange coincidence. So anyway, we're on an aerial shot and all we hear is voices. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Peter Boyle's voice, which is significant because that's all he's going to do after this episode is voice acting. Yes. So they're establishing how hilarious his voice is right from the beginning. And I, I would say, I'm not familiar with Peter Boyle's other voice work. I'm sure he's done a lot of cartoons and such. I would say, and and granted, maybe this is, you know, it's, this is a pilot. It's, honestly, it doesn't even seem like it's a finished pilot. It seems like it was midway through post when they pulled it. But I do wonder, he doesn't seem like he's 
of all of all his tremendous skills that he had, it didn't seem like he was that skilled in the in the voiceover department. Right. It seemed like every line is him just reading off something and not taking. Not He's not him bringing read. a lot of nuance to the character of the dog. No. Yeah, I agree. But we hear him talking to the dispatcher. Mm-hmm. He's very excited by the dispatcher, and the dispatcher tells us she's heard all about Pachinski. And then we get to the first joke of the pilot. Yes. She Joking read quotes. all about him on the bathroom wall. Yes. And this is this sets the tone. This tells us what kind of world we're going to be living in. We know where we're going now. <laughs> the bar the bar has been lowered to the floor. Yes. Uh, because you really want to have a joke right out of the box that's going to knock people's socks off or make them realize you didn't even write original jokes for this piece of material. You're just using like you might as well have said your mother wears combat boots as the first joke, you know, <laughs> or like, why did the chicken cross the road? That was upsetting to see. And I also I did enjoy that they set the tone with some very sexy jazz music right from the beginning. It's very it's interesting how 1990 this it could not be more 1990 because it touches both cop cliches comedy cliches musical cliches it's really a an intoxicating elixir of things that had been done before my understanding is that episode two was going to feature a bank robbery and the gang that robbed the bank was going to be nkotb just to really establish them (laughs) as a 1990s phenomenon uh so, we, so we're at a crime scene. People have just been robbed. And here's the second joke of the pilot mm-hmm. is what took you so long? Was there a long line at Mr. Donuts? So it's we start with I read all about you on the bathroom wall. And then the second joke is cops, cops like donuts. Yeah. I mean, I certainly can't I can't disagree with you, but I do have to say they're at least building, you know, the world. An oeuvre. Of, there's a Mr. Donuts, you know. Right. The same way that Tarantino would, uh, you know, have Jackrabbit Apple Slims. Apple cigarettes, and, yeah. You know, and the Big Kahuna Burger, you know. Yeah. It's like, oh, Mr. Donuts. You're really when do we get to that? World. Which episode do we get to I that mean, that's in? It. I'm sure. What if we did a whole episode inside Mr. Donuts? I'm sure that's the kind of that's the kind of groundbreaking TV that would have happened had right. they given this show a chance. So we find out that these two guys have been working together for a month. They're new. They're new partners. There is one small thing yeah. that I just wanted to address before we move past that, which is criminal is a a male Caucasian, medium size and build, mm-hmm. and I actually. And it's interesting that then the scene we're going to see next is more criminals, even though albeit children, <laughs> that are also Caucasian. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? Good for them. Or do you think it's just like, <laughs> is it not good for them? It's that they were so committed to the lack of diversity in the show. <laughs> I have to say, I am not willing to give them credit for <laughs> making the criminals white. I think it was just because they were like... Saying for the time, it seems like they certainly would have leaned toward the most cliche, you know, white perspective. Right, absolutely. But also it was like... Teddy's son wants to be in this. Can we give him a part? That is certainly what that kid criminal. I mean, it seems like Teddy's son came in, yeah. you know, from the suburbs wearing his bright blue windbreaker and they they didn't even send him to wardrobe. They just like gave him a switchblade. Just, and then he was yeah, a I'm criminal. just picturing the guy who gives him the switchblade lesson before that scene. <laughs> no, you're just going to press the button and the knife is no, no, no. Don't hold it that close to your face. You're going to press the button. Come on, kid. You can get this. 
Teddy, tell your son not to hold the thing so close to his face. So then, yeah. So then we're in the scene where where Puchinski is buying himself a hot dog, and he sees these kids messing with a dog, which, by the way, is one of the triad of signs of becoming a serial killer. Like those kids were clearly on their way to yeah. being serial killers. Yeah, kicking an off-screen dog yeah. behind some boxes is definitely the gateway uh, to crime. Yeah, that's what John Wayne Gacy. All right, so he stops them from abusing the dog, pulls his gun on these kids, <laughs> and they decide that he's crazy and they run away. Yeah, they decide because he is threatening 10-year-old children. With a gun. With a, with a gun, insisting that it is loaded. He does well, not he sure does, if it's loaded. He doesn't remember if it's right. loaded or not because he's Implying so old. Implying that he is yeah. going to empty it on the children. Right. So if, you're a, if you are a child and you're tuning in to see the cute dog, you know, this is the first thing that you're going to find out about this character. Well, the second thing you're going to find out about the character. The first thing you find out about the character is he gets out of the car. It's interesting how it's even shot like the shot of Peter Boyle, his introduction to the show is from behind in a way. Yes. Yeah. And and, then he, he and, sort of and it doesn't look like he's actually like it looks like they did the lines in post. Like they ADR'd his lines. They didn't even give him an entrance that fit his character. No. And his first thing is, let's wrap this up, huh? I I can't can't listen to this talk anymore. So it's not even this guy ain't our guy. It's not. It's just, I don't want to hear this cop stuff. I don't want to listen to this witness talk about the crime. This witness stuff drives me up the wall. <laughs> oh, I saw a crime. Heard it, pal. Heard it before. So it's just, we establish immediately our main character is not is a bad cop, not in the corrupt cop sense, which would be a little bit more interesting, but just a disinterested cop. Right. And he's more interested in the dispatcher than anything. What you else. want to establish in your character right up top is a lack of wants. So, so he handles the situation with the stray dog very well. He then relates to the dog. He gives the dog part of his hot dog. He bites the hot dog himself, then shares, and he relates to the dog because he says, "Ugly and all alone, I know how that feels." Yes. So we have sympathy for this character. Yes, even though we immediately sell that out next because he. Shows a picture of the lady to uh, to George Newborn that is the new his latest, as right. he says. Well, you you work in Vice, you meet a lot of weird women, you know. So that's so, so she's a prostitute, basically. Yes, and there are many things like this. Even after he becomes a dog, wherein I'm saying, are you saying that you pressured? <laughs> with your status a prostitute or are you saying that you just met the prostitute and you're in a legitimate situation with her like and i think later on i can't remember when it is but there's a moment where he talks about what good times they had and what they used to do together and it was arm wrestle so that was when he's having his big moment of crisis right what do you say the dog he is pachinski so you can't even say it's pachinski as well right. as the dog Go yes ahead. so he's he they, they uh, this is this is the biggest thing about this pilot and you it's so hard to pick well this is where this is why they didn't pick it up. This is where it went off the rails. <laughs> this is where it went off the rails. It's uh, the thing that's admirable about it is it's off the rails from the beginning, and somehow it never stops going off the rails, even though it's off the rails. It's it's very far off the rails to start with, and it gets farther and farther as it goes along. There's never a thing that the Pachinski character does 
that is consistent with the thing that he has just done. <laughs> so he is just saying, yeah, ugly and alone. Hey, here's my lady. It's really hard. Just matter of advice. You know what I'm saying. Then later, yeah, we had really special times together. We really connected. When we arm wrestled. When we arm wrestled. So then we're back at the station. Yeah. We meet the other, the sort of opponent cop. I don't know. The lieutenant? No, no, no. The, oh, yes. The, Shriver. The low-rent Biff from Back to the Future. Yes, yes. Sergeant Shriver. A very a very good topical joke because we know that Sergeant Shriver founded the Peace Corps in 1960 yeah. and ran for president in 1972, and it's now 1990, so lots of people will be giggling <laughs> at that Sergeant Shriver <laughs> reference. <laughs> ha yes! And his joke is what is it it's finally found somebody to kiss or something like that yeah finally yeah finally get someone to kiss you so that's that's his big joke and then his comeback is hey shriva don't let the word get around i wouldn't want anyone to think i'd be unfaithful to your wife right and it doesn't even totally track that joke doesn't 100 percent make sense no it's these are all they're not even first thought jokes they're like you didn't complete the thought and you wrote it down well, it's also placeholder jokes. It's also possible that it was taken from like because I had a book when I was a kid called Jokes, Puns, and Riddles, and it was just all street jokes. Uh-huh. And it's possible that this was a, taken from a book like that, but slightly reworded to it make it organic. That's why it doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, I don't let the word get around. I don't want people to think I'm unfaithful to your wife. Like what? What's interesting is it's not light on attempts at jokes. It is an astonishingly laughless pilot. <laughs> yeah. Well, but not for lack of trying. I mean, these were supposed to be funny moments. Right. I mean, I, I feel this in some sitcom rooms that there's a certain amount of Stockholm syndrome where people are like, yeah, the show's going great. Mm-hmm. So do you think that there were people in that room who were like, yes, the thing about being unfaithful to his wife is fucking gold. <laughs> That's staying double check mark. Well, I'd love to know. Is if Lon Diamond and and David Kirshner or Brian Levant were even in the same room together. Because I don't think this got to a room. I think that this never got past pilot. But they would really love to know if it was just like, just bring Levant in. He, you know, maybe he can punch this up. Or, you know, David Kirshner maybe stormed off, you know, in the story process. Like, I would love to know how that broke down. They called they called Levant the joke patter downer. Um, so then he goes in to see the captain. And this is where we get to another great comedy bit. McKay wants to be reassigned. The uh, captain, of course, played by the great Frank McRae, who you might argue, there. I'm sure there, there are examples prior to 48 Hours, but that to me is the quintessential shouting police lieutenant. Right. Like the just the perfected version of it, organically played, and he just nails it in that, so much so that they bring him back, obviously in the sequel, and then in Loaded Weapon 1, and in Last Action Hero, he's playing exactly the same part to parody his own character. When you are good at something specific in Hollywood, you will work forever if people like it. Still looking for my first thing. I mean, look at Ernest. He goes to camp. He go. I mean, he's, you know. That's true. We got to send this guy other places. Yeah. So, but anyway, we get to this great joke of like, now he has this dog, Captain, and I don't want to be with him anymore. No, he's great. He breaks wind constantly. The dog? No, Puchinski. So. And I would say, even for that, for the for the badness of that joke, Frank McRae just he doesn't lean on it too much. He's mm-hmm. just like the dog. Yeah, he just underplays it. Right. Doesn't doesn't make it funny, but it does make it less painful. It it's <laughs> such a specific like 
we have to set up the punchline right. kind of line from him because why wouldn't he think it was the dog? Why would he question that? Right. He would never ask that question, but we have to set up that it's not. And this is where we also find out about Puchinski's great record that he has captured both the North Hill Strangler and the post office bomber. And this is where you get into, again, going back to the inconsistency. <laughs> See, I feel like I'm the idiot in dissecting the inconsistency mm-hmm. in the Sergeant Stanley Puchinski character. But yeah, as Sean says, there's lots he could learn from Stanley Puchinski. Right. He caught the, the post office yeah. bomber. He, he caught the North Hill Strangler. So they're setting him up as like, this is a legendary great cop. We've already seen him dismissive of witnesses be a terrible cop there is no indication of a well he's hit a point in his life where he's lost his you know and it's look it's 21 minutes so you're in a rush you got to get a bunch of stuff done can't just be all exposition (laughs) so but it's like even if you're gonna set up like he's one of those characters you know like miyagi where it's like oh he's you know he's making daniel's son you know shellac the fence but really he's teaching him defense and you find that out later that's not there's no twist are you saying that this is a one of those rare pilots that would have benefited from more exposition i'm saying if you're going to say he's a disinterested bad cop in the first scene Mm -hmm. and then you're going to say he's a legendary cop in the second scene there should be at least some scene where you go this is the reason for that contradiction right and there never is but it was in the bible but all the explanation yeah yeah and then Lon Diamond was like, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cram this exposition down their throat. We want to <laughs> let it breathe. Communicate it with a look." At the end of the season one, you find out that the North Hill Strangler was actually his ex-wife, and that's why he's gone downhill as the. He's actually a murderer. Yeah, he's not a. Okay, so the captain says, "No, you're going to work." <laughs> that with actually him. would be more consistent with his perspectives on women in this pilot. Right, right. And then we're we're on a stakeout right. in the car, which we know because McKay says. We're on a stakeout several minutes into the scene. Sure, you have to. They're just sitting in a car and you're like, oh, are they having trouble parallel parking? What's going on? Are they at a drive-in movie? No, they're on a stakeout. Do they both live in this car? (laughs) It could be. (laughs) We don't know where they live. We also know they're on a stakeout because the police pizza delivery guy. You guys on a stakeout? First son. Just the biggest performance ever. Hey, you guys on a stakeout? Yeah. Just like... And I assume the joke there is if you're on a stakeout, you don't want someone blowing your cover. It is not played that way no, other than his no. performance. There's no punchline. They don't seem uncomfortable. Also, I figure that, you know, in my head, I want to see the short film where that guy has been going from car to car filled with people and going, you guys on a stakeout? And they're like, no, we live in this car. <laughs> And he's like, oh, it's not for you guys. Um, he also gets a tip and then acts like a newsie. He's like, just, wow, thanks, mister. And, of course, how could we forget that it is the great shrimp and pineapple pizza? Which... Is it again, like, that's... You're in the room, like, well... It's something he's unhappy with. Should we put something that people, you know, don't like on pizza? Uh, give him buffalo wings. No. Yeah, no. No, something pizza? funnier. What's funnier than that? What's pizza. Funnier? Pizza's a funny word. Right. No, I mean, he'll have the pizza, but what's, is it like, should he put some kind of a chicken on it or uh, about some peppermint, kind of... peppermint patties and dog food? <laughs> it's a peppermint patties and dog food pizza. No, that's too crazy. All right. You're right. You're right. I'm going to go take a walk and cool off. Uh, so shrimp and pineapple. Turns out Pachinski doesn't like that. He's like, what am I, a health food nut? Because, of course, shrimp and pineapple pizza is... <laughs> There's no 
line no line connects to the previous line <laughs> what is happening give them a health food joke okay so then they get into an argument and while they're arguing of course there is a robbery at the ATM across the street and this is where the action kicks into high gear yes almost confusingly so yeah. the fact that they they it's like oh we're also going to do a straight action show well, and within seconds, they're so far away from each other that they can only communicate by radio. Yes. McKay chases the guy, and Pachinsky says, don't be a hero, because you know that's what you are when you're chasing an ATM robber. Did it strike you at all that their arch villain is a... Caucasian? ATM, well, it's certainly that. And also, it's nice to see Robert Evans get back into acting in 1990. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to take your money. Is that something that would interest you? I remember when I held up that woman at the ATM. Was it unfair? Yes. <laughs> That's when I finally did lost Ali for it? good. I did. But so it's 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 that weird street level crime, and the ATM robber then goes to steal a car. He's a very ambitious. Oh, unless he, he had it stashed. See, I didn't even I didn't even think about that. That he was stealing a car. I just thought that was his getaway car. Either way, is very ambitious. But what it le- it's important because he's got a getaway car in a parking lot near the ATM. Right. And he robs the person at the ATM, and then there's enough time and distance between that happening while McKay is shooting at him and missing. Yes. That Puchinski sets up a roadblock. Right. That's the end of the sequence is that it's not a chase. It's that he is able to put his car across the road, get out of the car, stand across the hood at, with his gun raised the way you would if you were standing at a roadblock. Puchinski, if I'm not mistaken, is also already in the car when the foot chase is happening yes and he does that thing which i i and don't know if this is a real thing in real life but i'm always fascinated by it where he pulls out a, a light and puts it on top of the car like is that a thing that really cops do they have uh, uh unmarked cars and then they have in the glove compartment there's just a siren light on it it definitely exists but whether it's uh it's certainly most well known from starsky and hutch right. so, uh, i don't know how consistent it is but uh the other thing that's sort of interesting i don't know if you noticed it is when Pachinski is getting in his car. You don't see Peter Boyle. There's more bad ADR. Is that because they were like, oh, we didn't shoot this? Or it's Peter Boyle had, was, wasn't available? They had a second unit that didn't know how to do their job. <laughs> and they got, the, they got the rushes back to the room, and they were like, what the fuck, guys? Sean's always ready to blame second unit. I don't care for those people. <laughs> There's a reason they're second unit. If they were any good, they'd be first unit. And by the way, if you're on a second unit somewhere, please call our tip line. But yeah, then we get into the roadblock. Again, more shooting. He's trying to stop this guy. And then something terrible happens. A huge tragedy, which is that the dog gets in the way of the car. Now, do you remember how they even get out of the car? Does the dog run out? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Somehow he's back out of the car. I mean, dogs can just jump out the window when I mean, it's open. I mean, that is certainly you know? true. They're very good at escaping. And Peter Boyle rushes up seemingly to protect the dog from the car, although I don't know how picking it up is going to protect either of them. Well, it cushions the blow in a sense. He doesn't even really turn around to have the, 
the car hit his back, though. It's right because that would be a bad shot, even though it would be more logical. Here's one interesting thing. Up until now, it looks like the whole thing cost you know eight thousand dollars, like the entire pilot. Right. This stunt. It is the most graphic stunt <laughs> I've ever seen most, on network television. <laughs> this animatronic dog clearly aiming for kids. These raucous dumb jokes. And suddenly, and then a horrific body toss <laughs> from a car hitting it full speed into another car, smashing the window. Just horrific. It's so violent. I and couldn't weird. believe it when I saw it the first time. Again, it's a different show in that moment from everything that's happened before that. It's very strange. Yeah. But he survives briefly. Yes. That surprised me. Yeah. I mean, basically, because of that stunt, well, I was like, what? He's still alive? If you know anything about horrific car accidents, <laughs> somebody would normally be dead in that situation. Right. But he lives, and that's where he says the thing about. And I guess this was a gag line. I don't know. What do you think was behind this? Where he goes, in my wallet, two Cubs tickets, right. take a date, or better yet, see what you can get for them. So like, take a date is I'm dead. See what you can get for them is give me the money? I don't know. That's what confused me. Like, why does he care at this point? Is he knows the idea he's dying. he thinks he's going to survive, but he's not going to make it to the Cubs game? I'm not sure. It's just one of at least 30 jokes that make no sense. We need something after he says, take a date. We need another line after that. We don't have time. We do. We have plenty of time. We need another line. What if he says, take a date or give them to a friend? Uh-huh. How does that help the first line? Take a date or auction them off. I mean, none of these really sing to me. Take a date or see what you can get for them. That's the one. That's the one. We did it, guys. Everybody go home. home. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go into this weird 90s mystical music and these ultra close-ups right of... and so what was going on there there was like wind i mean i didn't know if it was just a bad... well that's like classic to me of this era like something mystical is like blowing newspapers uh -huh. mystical music they have real weird like dissolves into close-ups of the dog's eyes and Boyle's eyes. But it's like, what? I mean, I assume in series they would have explained it. Right, right. <laughs> it's like, One are you saying them, this is angels? That, are you saying this is magic? Like, what are you... At that exact moment, one of them was being bitten by a radioactive spider. Oh, is that what was mm -hmm. the subtext? That's how they changed brains. What happens to the dog's brain? Why is, what happens to the dog's soul? The dog wakes up in... Peter Boyle's body in the grave. I see. I think episode three was going to be like the Uma Thurman scene in Kill Bill where uh -huh. she punches her way out through the grave and he was going to come back. I mean, I got to tell you right off the bat, if this show is about George Newborn and his actual Peter Boyle partner who thinks he's a dog, much better show. Think about how funny it is to hear the voice of a bulldog coming out of Peter Boyle's body. Just Peter Boyle walking around going... I mean, I heard the dog was pushing for this because he really wanted an easy gig where he could you know, make some cash. I know, I know, you found the hillside strangler. Well, that sounds immoral. What? How are you in this relationship with the prostitute? <laughs> yeah, I get it. You don't like shrimp and pineapple pizza. Never even heard of that as a thing. So then, so then we're in the cemetery. It's a weird bulldog voice you chose. 
Sounds like he's underwater. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, since we're talking about the bulldog voice and all the bad ADR, there's also weird breathing. It's like the sound department. This is why I think that they never even completed post. It's like they have kind of little sounds that the the dog's making, but then weird breathing that's going on Peter Boyle while the dog is talking. It's like nothing seems like it's even in sync. Yeah. I mean, I would have notes if they were making it now. Yeah. I would get into it with them. I like, know. guys, can we talk about the sound for a second? There's that's a couple the, that's things. That's the big problem we have There's to a couple things here. we need to get into. So we're in the cemetery. George Newborn is mourning the death of his partner because yeah. even though they'd only been together for a month, this is the rock-solid relationship he has. The one that he was trying to end when he went to see the captain moments before this incident happened that's true. is the most important relationship in his life. Yeah, he also calls back to it later, the effect it's... it's he's, well, in fairness, maybe he's just saying it's more that his partner's turn, turned into a dog. But I feel like he was also saying, I just lost my partner. Yeah, he was. He definitely was. Yeah, in a was. sad way. It's interesting also that even though he's only known him a month, He's everyone sort of, you know, on either side of him, sort of crowded around as though to support. It's his loss more yeah. than anybody else. That's true. Um, it would have been nice to see the prostitute in that moment looking for somebody to arm wrestle with. <laughs> Although the arm wrestling thing doesn't come up till later. Yeah, so people would have been like, what's going on? Like a retro. This doesn't make sense. Oh, unless now you... I get it. She was trying to arm wrestle people at the funeral. Unless you've established that she wants to arm wrestle, that that's her thing. And, and so... Newborn hears Puchinski's voice and it blows his mind because how could Puchinski still be around? And he realizes the dog is talking. Because he, he says to him, it's your partner, Puchinski. Surprise! End of act one. It's like, we got it. Yeah. That's Don't even just cut away. What are you going to do after that? And he in, is he is, in fact, surprised in that moment. Who wouldn't be? Not me. I mean, if, if if not by the fact that your partner was resurrected as a dog, that your partner was resurrected as a dog with weird, cold, dead doll eyes <laughs> and an unhinged mouth. This is the other fascinating thing that it's like the lack of craft. Like, you know that that animatronic dog, I understand. You don't Wait have... a minute. Are you saying the dog was not real? <laughs> Sean has trouble spotting bad effects. It's, it's like, you know this is going to be your centerpiece. Take a little more time on it. Look, we did it with Bruce and Jaws. It worked great. This is going to be fantastic. <laughs> but we didn't see Jaws. We didn't see Bruce until the third act. Well, this one's different. <laughs> we get to the good stuff faster. Um, but the other thing is, in terms of tonality, he's like, again, there's no joining part. And I understand. I, I even kind of respect... That it's like, okay, we're just going to get to the cut to the chase. It's like, he's already the dog. He's already adjusted to being the dog. But it's like, there's no explanation of why he feels okay with it. It's like, he says, well, what's wrong with being a dog? I'm, you know, it's, you know, this, I can take a nap. I I have stronger teeth. I I can jump on women and harass them in a way that I couldn't when I was a human being. (laughs) Very upsetting. (laughs) But then he's like, later, it's this maudlin thing of like, it's sinking in. Yeah, a dog, and it's like, what? What are you upset? What's what's going on? And we don't know enough about him to start with for any of this to make sense. Well, and a couple other things about this scene. First of all, this is the scene where they explain what happened, how he became reincarnated in the body of the dog. Right, and all it was was there was a tunnel. My relatives were waving to me, and then I was in the body of a dog. Like, there's nothing to that that makes any sense. Right. 
And I don't even know when he says my relatives were waving to me. I assume that means his human relatives. Except that then the relatives are like, here, boy, yeah, here, boy. Right. So it's like, wait, <laughs> when you're going toward the light, are you the dog or are you Pachinsky? <laughs> I will say I have two cousins who call me that way. Here, boy, here, boy. And I don't care for it, but they get a big kick out of it. They're not even staying consistent with the character's own story about how he went to the light. Right. But the other thing about this scene that's very important is that this is where the story of the pilot kicks in, (laughs) which is I'm going to lick myself and then I'm going to catch my killer. Uh, So now we know we're off. We know the rest of the episode is going to be about him catching his killer. And there's going to be clues along the way and he's going to figure things out and (laughs) He's going to hunt this guy down, maybe look at a lineup, maybe look at some fingerprints. Right. And is it going to be maybe a parody of a cop show or a real cop show? It's unclear so far, but one of those two things for sure. Absolutely. It's got to be about the hunt for the killer. That's what is happening here. And then we go into the station where McKay is trying to get away with bringing Puchinski in. And And he says, I'm back. Yeah. And that raises a question to me of like, how long has he been gone? Yeah. Which becomes important later. We'll get to that in a little while. But McKay goes in to see the captain because he wants to be assigned to the case of catching Puchinski's killer. And while McKay does that, Puchinski hops on the dispatcher that he was into from the beginning of the episode. And See, that's good writing. They set up that he was interested in her right from the first voice. That's probably why they added that. It was added in post. The the beginning voiceover. Yeah, because they were like, well, I can't well, how come do we out know? of nowhere. Yeah, we have to show that Pachinski and both his It's his a dog humping were... a woman, but that doesn't just happen. There needs to be a setup, a motivation of some sort for why a dog would behave that way. <laughs> Seems like he's going farther than just humping her too, which is... Well, that was... Yeah, again, I was like, oh, I get it. The dog is, you know, being slightly inappropriate. And then we come back and they're basically about to have sex on the floor. Like he's pushing her out of her chair onto the floor and just going for it. Yes. And it's what what is the spitballing when you're coming up with this bit? Can we get an actress who can fall over backwards without hurting herself? It's just it's just technical issues. Yeah. It's not like, like the practical Motivation. shooting yeah, of, yeah. of how to make that bit because obviously the bit itself no questions there don't right. yeah no no issue no this is the classic dog tries to have sex with a woman in the middle of an office bit, yeah which i mean basically is one step short of bazooka joe comedy you know that's not fair to bazooka joe yeah so the captain doesn't want to let mckay back on the case also, why is the captain suddenly friend? Oh, I guess because his partner died. That's why he's all friendly. I guess. <laughs> Maybe he just got one of those sweet residual checks from 48 hours. <laughs> he, he just realized, why am I doing this? He's just in a better mood. Uh, it could be. Oh, I see. Because if you, have, if you have SAG after, you know, if you have sure. SAG at that time, mm-hmm. you get, you know, maybe the check came through that guaranteed him health insurance for the year. 48 you know? hours plays on TV a lot. Yeah. So... Just brilliant, brilliant physical comedy, you know? So upsetting. And then, speaking of physical comedy, McKay brings Pachinski to his domicile. They go they go back to his house. Uh-huh. And he gets very caught up in the leash while he's on his way into the front door. Trips and falls on his way into the apartment. Sure, sure. Which I mean. is just a foreshadowing of trouble to come. <laughs> Not so much trouble that it's interesting, but... No, but we know where this is going. Things are going to be rocky between them. Uh, He gets on the elevator, 
at one point, and there's a lady there. Amy Yazbek. From Pretty Woman. Is she? She is in Pretty Woman. Oh. I can't remember. I looked her up she's last a, night. I can't remember what else. She's a sitcom stalwart. But she is clearly interested in McKay. Yeah. McKay is obtuse, doesn't get it. Well, he does get it because he said when Pachinski's asking him, do you, do you have a lady? And he's sort of like, I do. There's a neighbor. There's a neighbor. And he's basically not going out with her or has even been on a date with her. He's interested in her. Right. And yet you're right. It is sort of more played like he's either disinterested or not aware of the interest. It's also weird because in she is clearly an attractive woman, but she has a daughter who is... 10 or 11 years old so you go well there's probably you know the dad is probably at work so how can this work out between mckay and her if there's already a husband involved but she expresses you're so bourgeois sean you know every relationship can be defined in many different ways it was a different time it was much more (laughs) conventional back then and you weren't allowed to be in a variety of relationships all at the same time. I mean, I did. Uh, interestingly, it didn't bump me because I was just sort of assumed. Oh well, she must be single. He's a he's been established as a, a moral, upstanding moral person. Right. But what front. I'm saying is, they did not feel like that was enough. No, you're right. So That's they fair. had to have her say, "I know what it's like to lose somebody close to you." Uh huh. Uh huh. So we know that he has lost his partner, and she can relate because she has lost her husband. Right. She's a widow. She right. is available. She is open oh, no. for business. In the top scene, she she is described as a widower. She is? Yes. And I think that Pachinsky has some joke that's not clear about it. And then George Newborn says, it's not like that. And I wasn't sure what he meant by it's oh, okay. not like that. I just thought it was like I guess the idea she, being like he's swooping in. but She had to say, I know what it's like to lose somebody. I thought that was exposition, but I guess maybe that was just a joke. See, you're not giving enough credit to this script. It's a it's great a joke. Of, I should have seen it for what it was. And detail and, mm-hmm. uh, and place setting. We need something hilarious about how she lost her husband. I know what it's like to lose somebody close to you. That's it. We got it. Everybody go home. <laughs> Wouldn't that be somebody who's like sitting next to you on the bus? <laughs> I said go home. Uh, and then the dog ties them up in the leash. Right. Which is, you know, he's trying to help. He's trying to, you know, give his, his human buddy a little backup. Through this whole sequence. Right. And he's also... Which, by the way, also doesn't track with what we know about Pachinsky. But he does remind McKay that he's a cop, not a dog. And he mentions yet again that he is the one who caught the Hill office bomber and the post Hill strangler. I think you have those wrong, Sean. I don't know. But then again, there's that classic comedy bit where he kicks the dog out of the apartment and the dog goes on the elevator And there is a guy on the elevator so caught up in reading his newspaper. Now, who doesn't like to get into the sports pages while you're on an elevator ride in a six-story building? For sure. You want to whip that thing out and just take a look and see what the box scores say and who beat who last night and what's going on in the Middle East, you know? And so this guy is reading his paper so carefully that he doesn't realize a dog is the one who asked him to press five. So funny. And we later find out that the reason he wanted to go to five was so he could set things up with the widow yep, and bring her up to McKay's apartment. So all of a sudden we're back in. And meanwhile, I am sitting there and I'm going, what are they doing to solve Wachinsky's murder? Right. He was so, he was so focused this on This is it. all he wanted. This is a 21 minute pilot. One thing that's fascinating is it's 21 minutes. Mm-hmm. A lot happens. And there's so many dead spots. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many moments where it's just like, oh, 
What you, come on, move it along. It's right. like 21 minutes. How am I saying that in a 21 minute pilot? I watched it twice, and both times it seemed interminable. <laughs> like it wasn't even just the second time, it was the first time, too. It's really an accomplishment. Yeah. So they're there for dinner. I will say, I like Amy Asbeck's hat. Uh huh. It's a nice hat. It's a yeah. very 90s hat. You can't beat a good hat, you know? So the mother and the daughter... They're, it they're, does seem like the, the wardrobe department dressed everyone down to the dangerous criminals like they were in the Sears catalog. So I assume a nice summer hat was more you know up the up the wardrobe. Right. They were like, let's bring our A game for this. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is, Let this me just this do... This is my, my Can alley. I just do one thing, Bob? Can I, do, <laughs> can I have one moment to shine, please? I've been doing costumes for 20 years and all I do is put people in shirts and pants... Give me one hat, please. I like to think that she thinks, or he thinks, or they think that they were from the streets. And they're like, I know how criminals look. <laughs> Give me a bright blue windbreaker and a bright blue button down. But there's a, there's a great line here as well. Another really funny joke line. The daughter says to McKay, isn't it lucky we found Stanley and brought him back? And the cop, McKay, says, I thought I would never see him again. Like, you could take that a couple of different ways, you know? Like, he was worried or he was excited about it, you know? It's, yep. it's ambivalent. It's an ambivalent line, which I found gave me a hearty chuckle. <laughs> the other thing is, he they argue he leaves the apartment, he comes right back to the apartment. Yeah. is like a portion of the whole thing. Right. Uh, We're taking time with that. So... Puchinski tries to create a mood by, I guess they must have just somehow gotten the rights to a version of... Well, that shocked me based on the chintziness of every aspect of this yeah. pilot. That They sprung for everybody needs somebody sometime. Is that, is that Dean, Dean Martin? Martin? Yeah. yeah. So they got Dino on the box because yeah. Puchinski wants to set a maybe mood. Maybe 20th has the rights to it. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Because they used it Fox. over and over again yeah. over the course of the episode. Right. Or maybe... Dean Martin is... A, I'm a big fan of shows with dogs in them. <laughs> um, so he gets pissed that Pachinski is setting the mood. He locks him in the bedroom. Pachinski goes crazy on his down comforter. Yep. There's all kinds of noise and kerfuffle. And then we have the heartbreaking scene. I mean, this is the meat of the show, this scene. It's really self-reflective. And I say that not just because there's a big mirror in the room that he's looking at himself in but because he's really feeling the fact that he is a dog for the first time. It's sinking in. I mean, drawing the the line between when he's like, it's your partner's surprise, <laughs> and him like looking in the window with like this maudlin music playing and and just, just this slow, <laughs> you know, just like, oh, look at me, it's all sinking in. I'm a dog. I used to have hair on my back, but this is ridiculous. Then they keep going for that. Yeah. They undercut it. I mean, that's a good joke. I mean, sure. Can't argue with that. I mean, yeah. uh, and that's, that's, I guess, where he talks about his Claire and how they used to stay home and arm wrestle. That's where he brings that up. He had a real connection to her. We yeah. thought it was, it was just about sex or, or and, and I oppression. Think this, is, this, is also, <laughs> this is also where the true message of the pilot comes out which is and and i found this very inspiring you know he's like i'm a dog now i'm a dog i don't want to be a dog whatever and mckay is the one who comes through with the message which is yes you're a dog but it is life that's right you are alive that's right and isn't that 
wonderful. Right. But what about the dog itself? Where did the dog go? Where did the dog's soul go? That's a separate show. Well, I feel bad. I feel like I stole the dog's body. Look, we know that all dogs go to heaven, so we don't need to worry about that. That is true. I definitely would not have gone to heaven. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a real piece of shit. <laughs> Did I tell you how I coerced a prostitute into arm wrestling with me? That's the least of my crimes. With threat of arrest and fines? I've become a dog. It's all sinking in now. I'm a dog. But at least I can lick myself. So there's apparent. I, I didn't. I, I guess I feel like I missed something because. I did not see a resolution to the story with the neighbor. Did they? What? What happened? No, there? I think they're just. That's they're just. They're setting still us cooking up. in the kitchen when we go out of that scene. Yeah, I believe so. So we don't even know if they ended up eating dinner. Did they burn the food? Was there something delicious? Did they have to call for takeout? Sean, there's so many complex storylines we have to set up in this pilot. We don't have time to... You do want to leave a pilot with a lot of possibilities (laughs) of where you can go from here. There you go. So episode two could start with them in the kitchen going, do you smell something burning? To be honest with you, I don't even have a problem... Because I think there is a, mod, a lot of modern, you know, sort of in premium television, there is a lot of like, they'll just draw with a light, you know, brush stroke. Okay, there's this character, there's this character. Yes. Setting stuff up. Right. The problem is everything they tell us about every character in every situation conflicts with something else that they told us about that character in that situation. Well, I would also argue that there were several beats of that story as if it was going somewhere. In other words... The neighbor lives upstairs. She doesn't have a husband. She right. wants to be with you. She's coming over for dinner. She's cooking dinner. You're in the other room. End of story? <laughs> You're right. They didn't. It wasn't a light brushstroke. They like spent a come, lot of time setting it up. If we come back to the next episode and it's the pizza delivery guy going, I remember you guys from the stakeout and I need to tell you about something terrible that's going on in the city. Right. There's a guy going around from post office to post office setting off bombs. Right. I'm with it. Like I'm like, okay, we saw that guy in the pilot. It set up that he has some kind of other life going on. He's oh, he has an obligation to them because they tipped him well. Right. So he's coming in to help out the police. But with her, it wasn't like we just drop in on this woman and then never see her again in the pilot. It's like we're setting up a bunch of stuff. Right. And then there's no payoff to it. No. It really feels like a hasty script. Mm-hmm. And I understand. Is it you got Peter Boyle involved? Is it was there some kind of directive that they were trying to, you know, we need a we need an Alf like kind of, but it's like Alf, he eats cats, he's sarcastic to the family, his his storyline, you know, the characterization is very well defined. Peter, it's your agent. I got a script for you, but I don't want you to read it. Just do it. <laughs> That's fine. Just. Send me into onto the set, and I won't do any shots of me getting can into they, a car. Can they give me cue cards so I don't have to read it ahead of time? Yeah, because, I mean, I don't know if we want to get into all the, like, the A story versus the B story stuff, but it's like there's two separate episodes here. One is about the police, you know, solving the crime, and the other is about having the date with the woman. I mean, it's if you count his existential crisis of... His first joy, then existential crisis about being a dog. 
Right. Um, so anyway, we're out of that, and now we're back on the street, which right. is where this show really thrives. I mean, that's where it comes alive for sure. It's it's born on the street, bred on the street, and ready to ready to rock and roll. And and McKay, and this was the most. What's that? Is that a boys to men lurk? <laughs> no, ninety eight degrees. Um, we're 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 back on the street, and this was the most interesting moment in the entire pilot to me. We see McKay walking up the street. And he, for some reason, and I watched this twice, and I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> he very specifically and intently checks the mailbox as he walks by. Uh-huh. And then continues on, and they're waiting for the ATM strangler or whatever the guy's called. Right. So why is he checking the mailbox? What's the significance there? You know, the thing that uh, they didn't establish is the mailbox killer actually is at, is loose again. Oh, the, that was a whole You're talking about the post lot. office bomber? The post office bomber, yes. Or is there a mailbox killer as well? <laughs> that, that, was the, that was the D plot with the mailbox killer. Uh, ironically, unrelated to the post office. Uh, Gary, we can't bomber. take the final beat of the post o- of, of the mailbox killer out. We this took is the an rest, outrage. We took the rest how of it out. To, how am I supposed to make a good pilot? It's just a continuous shot, though. We can't get rid of it. I would think it would be a huge explanation if it was like, well, this was originally an hour and then they were like, you know, we're short or let's try and sell this as a sitcom. So let's cut out all the things that made this make sense, Mm -hmm. except all the beats that they would have wanted to do seem to be in this. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea why he looks in the mailbox. It's very strange because it is such a deliberate action of his on the way up the street. Such a weird lack of attention to mm-hmm. every detail. Does it strike? Does it does it smack of drugs, of cocaine, of something involved that just made this like every person not be attentive to anything in this I, process? I, I mean, people say shit like that all the time yeah. about stuff that was written. And I just, I don't, I feel like the process is too complicated for it to just be like, the writers were on cocaine, the executives were on cocaine, the actors were on cocaine, nobody caught anything. I'm not saying everybody. Everybody except Phil. Phil was the only one who was going, guys, we might want to take a look at this. I'm saying if Lon Diamond was the showrunner, and perhaps I'm assigning blame to him in an unfair way. Lon, feel free to call into the tip line. Um, It's not what it is. But, you know, whoever was responsible, the the visionary, I'm saying that that person was just like pushing the thing forward and that was ignoring all sense and notes and comments. You're saying that person was on cocaine. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, it's entirely possible. Or was going through a bad time in their lives or... Or was smoking crack. I mean, this was 1990. It was the beginning of the crack epidemic. You know, So it was a cheaper way to get that kind of stimulus. But I don't know. I mean, I just have heard the drugs thing about so many things. It's a hacky critique for for sure. I guess It could just, just be that these people were not great at their jobs and didn't... What I'm interested in is at what point, whether it's 20th Century Fox or or NBC was the network? I think it was NBC. At what point they were like, all right, screw this, whatever. This is insane. Forget about it. They couldn't have because they put it on the air. I'm not saying they picked it up, but they at least thought it was enough 
uh, legitimate content <laughs> to put it in front of people. But I, but I guess I'm curious what the process was of like, because it does feel like at a certain point, everybody was like, oh, it doesn't make any difference. This is a piece of crap. And I'm curious what that process was. And what's great is that Peter Boyle was like that from the moment he stepped on set. It does seem like the most... Oh, maybe it was maybe that cop was looking for uh, Peter Boyle's uh, performance in that mailbox. <laughs> it hasn't gotten to him, so it's got to be out here somewhere. So. <laughs> the new postmaster general is really slowing things down. Uh, so they do, in fact, roll up on the or they don't roll up. They're just sitting in the right place at the right time of the ATM uh, robber. Well, that's the other crazy thing. Just coincidence. Mm -hmm. And the dog smells him and therefore knows that that's it's him. That's the guy, right. Right. And then they, they chase him down. Puchinski bites his crotch, but makes it clear that he did not enjoy that. Yeah. Because you don't want anybody thinking that Puchinski loves licking balls. No, just, just harassing and Attacking forcing himself women. on women. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. If he can get some boobies, he's all on board. But right. if he has to chomp his chompers down on some balls, no. he'll do it, but it's yeah. not fun. Right. You know, he'll sacrifice. Because you'd lose the sympathies of the heterosexual males in the audience. If, if they, they both saw. would be upset by this. Right, yeah. <laughs> the two people watching the show. The way he is dressed, though, the way that criminal is dressed <laughs> is one of the most baffling things. I just can't. The way he's dressed, the the he seems who the old. Is. Yeah, it's like who is this person that they cast here? Again, it's like it really does seem like a favor. The kid Teddy's, and this guy yeah, yeah. really. This yeah. is Teddy's brother-in-law, and they're yeah. like, we need to put Teddy's brother-in-law in this. I also wondered if he was maybe the maybe the stuntman, and they were like, we can save money by just having the guy be the for the for the crash scene for the criminal. Well, the guy, the ATM guy, is also the stuntman, and they just never cast a guy because he doesn't. Does he have lines? No. So he doesn't have any lines. So just just make the stuntman the guy, the criminal. But you're saying the stuntman for when uh, Puchinski gets slaughtered by the car. For any of this, the fight scene. I assume that there's there's oh, some stuntman uh -huh. that's involved for right. the fight scene. It's also they also established that George Newborn is a terrible fighter. In addition to uh, right. like they do some things to you know have your your character be good at their job, but George. George Newborn is terrible. I mean, he's a newborn. So. Um, and then, oh, here's one more thing, which is they're at home. They're eating popcorn. He's sticking his snout into the, is it a snout? What do you call it on a dog? Yeah, it seems His a, trunk? Know. It's not a trunk, that's for sure. His schnoz? Yeah, His possible. proboscis. His beak. He's sticking his beak in the popcorn. He's partaking. He's getting his beak wet in the popcorn. If there's right. enough butter. It's not, you know, come on. And he's very concerned about watching a horse race because he has money on the ninth race at Arlington. Right. Now, this show takes place over an extended period of time. I mean, when we come in on the apartment at the end when they're eating popcorn, when he has popcorn in his nostrils, yeah. there's a photo of the captain and George Newborn and Pachinski with medals around their necks because right. they, which is what happens when you catch an ATM thief is you get... You get a medal of, I mean, I think that was the Presidential Medal of Freedom, but there's a picture of all of them. So there's been time. Yeah. There's no no digital photography. There's been time to take the, to have the ceremony. Yeah. To get the medals cast. I'm assuming they're cast in brass. That's what you make good medals out of. Okay. To cast the medals. Sean has a lot of medals. 
they're right there. And to take a photo, to get the photo developed, to get it framed, to bring it back to the apartment. And meanwhile, Puchinski has money on one horse race that he has to have placed the bet on before he turned into a dog. Correct? Correct. Not to mention, what is he going to do with it? <laughs> get the money. If he wins the if he if he wins the money the race you get some dog snacks well, can, or whatever and he can he can continue to pay for his other apartment which was an issue at one point in the pilot like I'm not going to keep paying for my apartment if I'm not living there anymore right so maybe that would help with that or maybe he can give some of it to George newborn so as, maybe it adds up yeah. a little bit more but I'm just saying that's not how horse racing works you don't place bets on horse races months in advance and this is where the pilot lost you I I was. Up until this moment, I was fine with it. And then when they had that lot, like, I know we all hate the people on the internet who find logic holes and go, oh, this doesn't make any sense. And you're like, come on, dude. It's the Lord of the Rings. It's fine. You know? Right. But this was too much. It was like, this makes no sense. I mean, I'm I'm with you. Is there a moment, I'm going to say again, I just really want to underline this, one of the worst animatronic puppets of all time like yeah. the the technology was like rick baker would just show up to set see that thing and punch every single person in the face i will say it was terrible it was such a bad animatronic that i didn't even realize it was a it was a puppet you know yes you also as yeah of course you're on record you have you have a lot of trouble telling the difference between an animatronic and a, and a if you're gonna make a good animatronic make sure we know that it's an animatronic you know <laughs> Otherwise, what's the point of spending all that money? If you had gone in the opposite direction, a different direction, you had just made it like an elf-like puppet. So like right. clearly a puppet. Right. That's the tone of the show. There's no maudlin like, it's finally sinking in. I'm a dog. Just I like, had hair on my back, but this is ridiculous. You just make it fully comedic. Do you think it would have, it wouldn't have been good, but do you think it would have been acceptable then at least i mean i want to say yes but i'm gonna say no all right it would have stayed as not good as it was (laughs) i've spent the last 40 years trying to lick my own balls now it's too easy so on a scale of good to not good you you're saying it still would have ranked not good yeah i mean if it's it feels like there's not a lot in between those two no so it would not have been good which puts it squarely in not good yeah it's true it would have been interesting to see it that way and i did see it as i was doing all the research i do for these things some article about how it's time to do a reboot of puchinski like it would be better now because which i agree with because you know why do we want to come up with new ideas or new stories or more (laughs) interesting things rather than reboot stuff that didn't work the first time i think you could i mean it's it's an insane premise but if it really was like underlying it and doing it in a meta way and, you know, and, you know, the effects weren't, you know, you, you certainly could do it, do it effects wise in an appropriate way now. Just you, digital? Yeah, I would say. Just also. have Peter Boyle acting against somebody who's wearing a skin, skin tight suit. Yeah, you put all those, get, all those motion dots on Peter Boyle. I'm sure he would be down for get. it. Oh, I, I was saying it would be somebody else. Yeah, you're right. It's him as the dog. So you would, yeah. Put yeah, no, you want to get in. that performance. I was gonna. I was thinking we could get Andy Circus to be the dog. But. <laughs> sure, Andy Circus would be down. Uh, so that's it. That's Puchinski in a nutshell. Anything else you want to bring up about this thing? None. Nothing. Not a thing. It's finally sinking in. If anybody has ideas about why he was checking the mailbox... 
I, I feel like I must have missed something, you know? There has to be some clue in there as to why he's doing that because it's so specific. Is it something preceding, you know, maybe they're looking for clues or something? That's what I'm saying. Like, if it was there, I missed it both times. Yeah. You, you're you saying, are they looking for clues about where the ATM killer is? Like, yes. It, does he think the, the does he think the mailbox is sort of like an ATM? Is he just robbing people who go near anything in the shape of a box of some sort? See, now we do have to get in touch with George Newborn. Find out why he did that. Yeah. It could have been just a choice on his part. Yeah, Sometimes like, actors you know just do things. They I try need some things. business yeah. to try and, you know, feel comfortable in the scene. Maybe he was his character had mailed a letter the day before. You know how you you become OCD about like I put it. I pulled the thing, and I put the I put the letter, the envelope in the mailbox. I pulled the the door of the mailbox out, put the letter in, and then you always look to see if it actually went down. Oh yeah, yeah. So maybe he had mailed something the day before. In his mind, his character had mailed something the day before, and was walking by, and was like, "Did it go into the mailbox? That's my that's my gas check, and I can't afford not to pay that because they'll cut off the gas, and I won't be able to." cook when the widow comes over or whatever i feel certain that that exactly was what was intended i can't believe i figured that out <laughs> i gotta say george newborn not a yeah, look nobody rises to the level of good performance except for you know maybe frank mcrae even him is sort of subpar for for what he's capable of but, but he's also he's also doing something he's done a million times before yes but uh, he's really got the gun pointed at him the whole episode. Like, it's he's working against so much. And he's kind of, he's okay in it. Yeah. He pulls it off. Yeah. I can see why they cast him in Father of the Bride 3. That was him, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All was right. he not in the other ones? He was. He was in all of them. <laughs> You're just saying why they brought him back again for... I get why they put him in the third one as well. Interesting. Uh, okay. Well, that's, that's Paczynski for you. Tune in next time when we get into more hijinks <laughs> thanks everybody that's our show folks thank you so much for listening we will be releasing episodes of this podcast on the first and third sunday of each month going forward so look forward to that also follow us on social media at copilots tv and if you're wondering where to watch the pilots that we're discussing just check the show notes. We'll always have some indication of where you'll be able to find any of the pilots we watch, even the more obscure ones. And you like our show or do you love our show? Uh, if you could give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be incredibly helpful to us. Uh, we're a new, just sad and sweaty, struggling, failing podcast. That's not how I see it. I think we're doing fine. Okay. Well, we each have our own perspective. Uh, and if you do give us that five-star review, you will get your pilot's wings. We're also going to read a couple of these reviews in each episode to express our gratitude. So you're going to send me wings in the in the mail, or how how am I going to get these wings? Oh, you're not. You know, we, we're not sending or doing anything. We're incredibly lazy. But you can print out your own if you want uh, on a 3D printer, or uh, you know, send away to some kind of mercantile uh, company. I don't even know what that means. Uh, what if I hate your show? If you hate our show, Sean, you can also just leave us five stars uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you're in. doesn't matter what you write. You can write anything you want in the comments. And you might read my comment even if I write something incredibly negative. I mean, if it's funny or, you know, if we're just feeling incredibly bad about ourselves that day, sure. Great. 
that sounds fair. So that's it. That's the end of our first show. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, we are coming in for a landing. We don't. I don't have our final sign-off catchphrase yet. <laughs>